Good evening. Good to see you all here today, tonight, whatever it is. If you have your Bibles, open it to Matthew chapter 6. I'll try and finish the rest of this chapter here. This is one of my favorite portions of Matthew's gospel. It's uh, something that I find myself always gravitating to in comfort and helping me to establish just my faith. You know, Jesus has moved from what we do wrong to what we do right, but do it wrong. And now he's actually moving into a place of, let's talk about what your life is focused on. What do you put your faith in? And it's something that I think he challenges us to see where we really do put our faith in us. So let's pray as we look into this some more. God, as we are here, we are here to hear your voice. We are here to allow you room and place in our lives to shape us, to mold us into the people you would have us to be. God, we are so aware, even as we've been going through this book of the areas where we fall short. But, Father, your purpose in writing these things, again, is for blessing, to bless us and to bless our lives. And, Lord, I don't think there's anyone here who doesn't want blessing. And so may we hear with ears of understanding, and may it penetrate our hearts and produce in our lives the things that will change and shape us, we pray. And we do ask this in your name, Jesus. Amen. Well, Jesus is continuing his Sermon on the Mount. And again, to let us know that the beginning of this sermon started off with blessing. We always have to keep that context lest we take Jesus' words and put a, a spirit in them that is not really that which he is presenting his desire here is blessing, and it always points us back to that. And, and as he continues in this vein, he tells us in verse 19, Do not store up for yourselves treasures on earth, where moths and vermin destroy, and where thieves break in and steal. But store up for yourselves treasures in heaven, where moths and vermin do not destroy, and where thieves do not break in and steal. For where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. The eye is the lamp of the body. If your eyes are healthy, your whole body will be full of light. But if your eyes are unhealthy, your whole body will be full of darkness. If then the light within you is darkness, how great is that darkness? No one can serve two masters. Either you will hate the one and love the other, or you will be devoted to the one and despise the other. You cannot serve both God and money. We see here as Jesus is talking, he gives this description of moths, and, and this translation it says vermin, which I thought was interesting. Some say rust uh, and thieves. He's talking about investing in stuff that doesn't really have security. And you see... We live in a world that markets these kinds of things. I mean, marketing keys in on just these kinds of things. How many times have you seen new and improved? And you have to have it because it's new and it's improved. Who wants the old and not as good? You know, we all want something that's better. And it always happens that way. They change things just a little bit. Just enough to make you say, oh, I need that. I can't believe how many people I see now with the iPhone 4. And then they came out with the iPhone 4S. And all the people who have the iPhone 4 wish they had the iPhone 4S because it does more. It's new and improved. And it's always that way. iPod, I need a new iPod. Why? Because they're shaped different now. They have a bigger window. They're touchscreen now. We, and it's constantly changing and making us desire the stuff. 
The things that people can steal, the things that break, the things that rust. And we're always gravitating towards those things. I remember when Corrine and I first moved out and we bought our first TV. I've always liked technology and, and movies and entertainment. has always been a big deal. And so I got a, a huge 36-inch TV. It was huge, and it weighed 400 pounds. And I didn't just get a TV. I got a TV monitor. It was an NEC TV monitor. And the reason I got the monitor, because I didn't want the tuner, because I used the VCR for my tuner. That way I didn't go through two tuners to get a clearer signal. Now, some of you are thinking, what are you talking about? But it was important to me. And I spent, I think it was $900 on this 36-inch TV. I am ashamed to admit it. Not only that, I spent another $900 on a VHS video cassette recorder. What are they, 30 bucks now? <laughs> I'm like, oh my gosh, but this one was hi-fi stereo. And then I got a, a, a stereo that I had to put on layaway that I finally bought, and it was like... 800 watts, and I was set. I had the TV that went through the, the VCR hi-fi that went through the stereo so I could watch Raiders of the Ark and Lost Ark and, and just feel the, the sound. And we were paying for that because we had credit cards too and thought, wow, this is great. You know, life is wonderful. And then we had kids. And now we had real bills. And so we moved and right after we moved, someone broke into our house and stole it all. Yeah, the TV, the VCR, the stereo, all gone. And I was still paying for it. Jesus' words echoed in my soul. <laughs> my treasure was gone. But we, we do put so much emphasis on this. Now, TVs and those kinds of things, you know, you might not be putting faith in those TVs, but how many things do we just, that's what we pursue that makes us happy. I was thinking about insurance. You know, all the types of insurance that we have, I have auto insurance in case I hit someone or, or someone hits me. We have medical insurance in case I get sick or something serious happens. Some people have dental insurance case their teeth go bad, you know, and they have to go to the dentist. No one wants to go, but in case you have to go, you want to have insurance. And then you have life insurance. We all kind of feel like mob bosses because we're worth more dead than we are alive, you know. <laughs> and you have this feeling like, oh boy, if I die, there's going to be a lot of money. And you have the security in that you have money if you die. And then there's homeowner's insurance that, you know, you hope you never have to use, but it's there. And I'm not sure how I would use it, but it's there in case I have to use it. And you think about every month, I, I'm paying hundreds of dollars for this insurance to help remove anxiety so that if something might happen, I'll at least have a feeling of, oh, it's okay. But then we worry, what if I don't have enough insurance? What if they take everything and my insurance only covers some of things? And then, oh no, what, I'll be without something. And you think, a hundred years ago, they didn't have insurance. I don't think. A thousand years ago, they didn't. At Jesus' time, they didn't have insurance. What did they do? These poor people, how could they live? Without insurance, and you see, we use insurance to help our anxiety. But isn't that what God is supposed to be for? Oh no, we need insurance. I'm not saying you shouldn't have insurance, but think about what you do and how that deals with this anxiety level. Because we trust in our insurance. And sometimes it works and sometimes it doesn't. Sometimes it's there. Sometimes it expires just before you need it. 
I remember I broke my ankle playing softball, slid and caught on the base and broke my ankle. And I was right in between jobs, and I, there was two weeks that I was without insurance, and that's when I broke my ankle. Yeah, just, again, Jesus' words are, yes, Sam, so what do you trust? You see, and we tend to focus on the things that will bring us security, the things that will bring us happiness, and we find out that they're things. We find out that it's a matter of money. If you have money, you have security. If you have money, you can buy insurance. If you have money, you can get the stuff. If you have money, then you can keep investing in things that try and keep you happy. And it's kind of an ongoing thing. It just keeps on and keeps on and keeps on. You know, G.K. Hesterton said there are two ways to have enough money. One is to acquire more, and two is to desire less. But we seldom think of two, do we? I always think of one. How do you get more money? Just acquire it. And you see, what we desire, what we treasure is a powerful motivation. And unlike Buddhism, that tells us that we should get rid of all our desires, that that brings us freedom from this anxiety is to lose all the desires. Jesus doesn't go there because really we can't do that. We can't do that because these desires are God-given. God has put these things within our hearts, within our lives, and they're powerful. But what Jesus wants to do is change our desire. He wants to change what we desire because if it was given to us by God and it can push us towards living in the kingdom instead of living here on earth. When you really want something, it is amazing what you'll do to obtain it. What if your desires were for the kingdom of heaven instead of all the stuff? What if you pursued those things instead of the other things? How much time do we spend looking at stuff? And now we've got the internet. And what a great time to talk about this at Christmas. When there's all the deals and the Black Friday, I mean, we were on the computer, you know, that time Thursday looking at what does Best Buy have on deal? Oh, you know, and, and our daughter worked there. And so how many of these TVs they have? Well, they have 10. Well, there's a thousand people already waiting in line. So I doubt we'll get one of those TVs, but we're always looking. And so you'll spend hours there on Best Buy looking for the best deals, all the latest gizmos or Craigslist. Oh, man, look at this. Someone's selling their junk. <laughs> and it's better than my junk so I can get it. You know, it trips me out garage sales. Think about this. Stuff that you don't want in your home goes into your garage. And then the stuff you don't even want in your garage, you put out to sell. And then someone else comes out to buy it. So what you're buying is something that someone doesn't even want to keep in their garage. But you want it. And how many people buy stuff from garage sales and it goes straight to their garage? <laughs> I remember my brother had a garage sale and he was out there and there was just this frenzy, he said. People were coming and they were buying everything. In fact, he actually went next door to his neighbor and took stuff that was just sitting in the trash. Bookshelves and things that they were throwing away and he put them in his yard and people bought them. And what is it about us that we just desire stuff? And you see, what we desire needs to change. And instead of desiring stuff, we need to desire the kingdom of heaven. What if when you had the ability to buy something, instead of buying stuff, you looked at giving? What if on the computer, instead of being looking at Best Buy or, you know, Craigslist, you were looking at Compassion International? You know, we're getting a bonus. We've got an extra hundred bucks. I wonder how I can give this away. I wonder how I can gain the kingdom of heaven instead of more stuff. But we don't think like that. It, it, our minds go towards the material 
where moths can eat and where the vermin can get to and where thieves can steal. And I wonder what would happen if we changed our mind. C.S. Lewis said, Indeed, if we consider the unblushing promise of reward and the staggering nature of the rewards promised in the Gospels, it would seem that our Lord finds our desires not too strong, but too weak. We are half-hearted creatures, fooling about with drink and sex and ambition when infinite joy is offered us. Like an ignorant child who wants to go on making mud pies in a slum because he cannot imagine what it is meant by the offer of a holiday at sea. We are far too easily pleased. We satisfy ourselves with things that fade away. Things that deteriorate, things that have to be replaced in just a few years. And that's what makes us happy. And Jesus is challenging our desires. He's challenging what we put our focus on, what we treasure. And this is one of those things that always kind of brings you home and shakes you up and helps you to understand, what do I really look towards to make me happy? What do I really look at that brings me security? What is really important to me? And usually we can see it in our checkbook, the things that we buy. And it challenges us. It makes you, makes me think, oh, wow, how am I doing? How is God using what he's given me? And what am I really trying to get? Am I trying to get stuff or am I trying to invest in what God has. And, and it's not just about money. It's about our time. It's about what we invest our lives in as well. And so this is a challenge to us. And he goes on and he says, the eye is the lamp of the body. If your eyes are healthy, your whole body will be full of light. But if your eyes are unhealthy, your whole body will be full of darkness. If then the light within you is darkness, how great is that darkness? You see, this issue has the power to affect and twist your whole life. And if the thing that you are attracted to that you treasure are the things that you can buy, the things that are temporary, that can bring you only temporary comfort, then it will darken everything. It will set your compass in the wrong direction because that is what you are pursuing. I think I've shared this before. Dogs, when you're training them and you train them to stay, I, I put distractions in front of them to try and seed it deep in their mind that, no, you have to stay even though there's the ball or the treat or whatever it is. And if the dog is understanding the command, he will sit there and he'll see the toy and he'll look away. He knows the toy's there, but he has to look away because if he stares at it, he's going to go for it. And so what he does in his mind is say, I can't have it, so I'm not going to look at it. Oh, if we could do that. If we could have the things there and say, no, I'm not going to focus on that. My eyes aren't going to be drawn to that. I'm going to look away. I'm not going to go for that. The important things of the kingdom, what are they? Well, it's to love God and to love people. The important things of the kingdom are loving God and people. But you see, if our eyes are dark, if they are focused on the things that do not bring in light, the things that bring just decay and, and corruption, then we will find that we love the things and just use people. And what's supposed to happen is we are supposed to love people and use things. And we can easily get twisted if our eyes are focused on the wrong thing. And so the idea of the eye is the lamp of the body, it is what do you see that you want? Because if it's the wrong thing, you're going to go the wrong direction. 
I've shared it before, you can know the right thing, but if you love the wrong thing, you will make the wrong decision. Are we loving the wrong things? Are we putting our stock in things that we cannot really trust in, that do not bring us true security? He goes on in verse 24. He says, no one can serve two masters. Either you will hate the one and love the other, or you will be devoted to the one and despise the other. You cannot serve both God and money. He's so definite about this. But you know what? When I hear Jesus say, you cannot serve God and money, I say, well, maybe with balance. Maybe, you know, it's just a matter of not loving it too much. You just have to be balanced. No, he says you can't love the one, or you'll despise the other. You cannot. The God of the universe is telling me you cannot love both God and money. And I seem to interpret it, well, maybe. I don't know if you guys interpret it that way, but I find myself saying that sometimes. Well, it just depends on how you, you think of this. And Jesus is saying, no, you can't do it. Well... Do we find ourselves saying, well, maybe? Or does, does it really sink in that it's impossible? It is quite possible that your issues with God, the things that you struggle with in your relationship with God, have everything to do with the things that you actually love in place of God that your issues with God aren't about the lack that is in God, but about the division that is in your own heart. It's not a problem with God. It's a problem with how you've divided your heart and the place that God has and the place that the things have. And we expect now this to be given to us. And we love these things. We love this part of our life. And so when things don't go the way we want them to go, we blame God. But the problem isn't with God. The problem is that we don't love God. We've got a divided heart. And it causes a turmoil and a rift. Your issues with God are not about his lack, but about your problems. You're trying to serve your appetites, your lusts, the status, the appearance, and you're struggling also to serve God. And you think that God is letting you down, but really it's just your heart is divided and you can't do that and blame God. It just doesn't work. And how many times I have found myself in a place of turmoil and I'm struggling and I'm thinking, God, how could this happen? God, why are you allowing this to happen? God, and my, my turmoil with God really just ends up coming to me as a place that, you know, Sam, you just haven't been loving God for a while. You've been so caught up and the wrong things that God is now distant and you are loving the one thing and you can't love the other. And the problem you're having is God is not your passion. The job is, the kids are, the stuff is, whatever else is, your relationships, your fill in the blanks, but it's not God. And you're wanting other things. You're, you're divided in your love for God. And now there's a problem. But the problem is really what's taking place with you. Jesus is trying to elevate our affections for our sake. He's doing this for us. He's not self-motivated. He's doing it for us. When our kids were little, they'd go into those arcades, you know, where you put in the tokens. And, you know, they always have that big square thing with the claw. And they got that thing rigged because it can't pick hardly anything up. And they'll sit there and they'll put money in that thing trying to get whatever. You know, my daughter, I want that pink rabbit. And so they'll be there and they'll spend 10 bucks trying to get a $3 rabbit. And we put so much time and energy trying to get 
something that really isn't worth it. And we find our lives frustrated and frustrated because it's really not what we were made for. We are too easily pleased. And I'm finding that when I'm struggling with God or I talk to people who are struggling with God, the truth is, is I probably just have been distant from God for a while. I've probably been devoted to other things for quite a while, and the security isn't working out. It's rusting, it's breaking, it's fading away. And what Jesus is doing here, he's not checking boxes to see if we're doing things right. He's not trying to give us a a list of do's and a list of don'ts, but he loves us and is trying to elevate our being. He's trying to get you and me who are his treasure, to recognize what is real treasure. And that's the kingdom of heaven. And we're so easily focused on the wrong things. We so easily let it steal our joy. It's amazing when I I do some of the trainings that I do where there are times where I go into a home and it's a humble home. It's an apartment, and there's six people living in the apartment. And the furniture is old, and the, the table and the kitchen table is, you know, inexpensive. And I go into the home, and the people are as happy as can be. They offer me dinner. They're friendly. They're laughing. They're carrying on. The kids are wild and rambunctious. And it feels like a home. And then I go into some of these estates down in Laguna or something like that, and they're overlooking the ocean, and they've got these marble patios and these ceilings that are like 30 feet tall. And you feel the coldness of the relationships that are there. They don't offer me water. They don't really talk to one another except in, in angry tones, and you think, who would I rather be? What, what, what have they got? And what does this other group of people have? And which one is more appealing? You see, we focus on the wrong things and sometimes it steals and robs from us the important things. And remember, the important things are loving God and loving people. We are his treasure, and he is to be our treasure, and that's what our focus is to be. He goes on after saying that we are to put our affections on the things above and the things that God has that can't be taken away. He then tells us in verse 25, Therefore I tell you, do not worry about your life. What you will eat or drink, or about your body, what you will wear. Is not life more than food and the body more than clothes? Look at the birds of the air. They do not sow or reap or store away in barns, and yet your heavenly Father feeds them. Are you not more valuable than they? Can any one of you, by worrying, add a single hour to your life? And why do you worry about clothes? See how the flowers of the field grow. They do not labor or spin. Yet I tell you that not even Solomon in all his splendor was dressed like one of these. If that is how God clothes the grass of the field, which is here today and tomorrow is thrown into the fire, will he not much more clothe you, you of little faith? So do not worry, saying, what shall we eat or what shall we drink or what shall we wear? For the pagans run after these things. And your heavenly father knows that you need them. But seek first the kingdom and his righteousness. And all these things will be given to you as well. Therefore, do not worry about tomorrow, for tomorrow will worry about itself. Each day has trouble of its own. Jesus says, therefore, I tell you, do not worry about your life. What you will eat or drink body what you will wear. Isn't it more, your life more than food and the body more than clothes? 
you know, the top things that we worry about are usually relationships and finances, and they usually are wrapped together. If you don't have financial stability, it usually causes anxiety in your relationship. At least it has in ours in the past. And when things are tight, we get stressed. We start to worry. It affects us. You know, I was thinking about marriage vows and why it's so important, say, for richer or for poorer. That's in there for a reason. Because when it says for poorer, even if you get stressed, you can't bail now, okay? For richer or for poorer. This is more important than those things that change. And Jesus just says, don't worry. Don't worry. Sounds so easy. Don't worry. There's a atheist who does a lot of debating. His name is Christopher Hitchens. And I heard him, I was watching a video on him, and he was talking about this passage and saying that this passage is proof that Jesus was mad. How could anyone say something like this? This is just insane. This is foolish for someone to say, don't worry about your life in this way. And you know what? In so many ways, it seems right. Yeah, that is crazy. How, how can that be? How can you just say, don't worry about your, your life and what you're going to eat or drink or about your clothing? How can you say that? We have to worry about that. But you see, this is really challenging our focus. You can read these words and say, Jesus, haven't you watched the news? Don't you know the global economy and how things are right now? Oh, man, things are very bad. We, we need to worry, Jesus. We, we really do need to, to be concerned. Don't you know about the stock market? Don't you know about the collapse that's coming? Don't, haven't you read the newspaper? But you see, Jesus knows that worry leads to bad theology. Worry pulls you out of the kingdom that he's just called you into. And yes, this is complete foolishness if there is no kingdom. If there is no kingdom, then Jesus is mad. But if there is a kingdom like we believe there is, then what worry does is it pulls us out of the kingdom. And it's Jesus is trying to lift us and elevate us into it. He's telling us that God cares for us and that worry leads us to a place of doubt. And how many times does he say, your father, your heavenly father, your father is going to care for you. He, he brings this endearing term. This isn't just, yeah, well, maybe we'll see how things work, roll the dice. No, your father in heaven is watching over you. He's trying to get you to understand the reality of who your father is and the realm that he is living in. You know, when our children go through something, they, they are injured, you don't hesitate to run to their need. If something happens and you have to get on a plane and you have to pay a few thousand dollars to fly over there to make sure they're okay, you don't think, well, I don't know if it's in the budget or not. If it's your child, you just do it and you'll deal with it later. Why? Because they are of so much more value than the material things. It means nothing means nothing. You don't hesitate. You just do it. Why? Because that's your child. And Jesus is bringing that aspect of relationship into this understanding. Your father knows your needs. Your life is more than just food or clothing. There is life that is more than that. It's transcendent. It's above that. 
And what Jesus is trying to do is say, you have been created for this kingdom. You've been created in the image of God. Set your mind in that perspective. The God who created the worlds and, and set everything in motion. He's the one who, who made you in his own image. I mean, the things we worry about when really what we should worry about is we are on this ball in the middle of space spinning and there are comets and there are things going around and we are just so far from the sun. If we were any further, we would freeze to death. And if we were any closer, we would all be too warm except for the ladies, they'd be just right. We are just living in this space and we're worried about what we're going to wear. Think about it. If God can set the earth in motion, rotating so that we don't fly off of it with gravity, setting it so we have the right seasons, there's rain, there's the sun, there's all that is necessary to live, and it's just perfect. But I don't know what you're going to wear this Sunday. You better worry. I don't know if you're going to have enough food to eat. You better worry. And he gives us a couple examples. He, he tells us about the birds of the air. He takes us back to the creation. And I love these stories because the birds, they don't sow, they don't reap, they don't plant, they don't have little bird tractors that they go out and you know have to harvest. And I heard that a sparrow has to eat like seven times its weight in food a day, which I've tried to imitate. <laughs> And God cares for them. And Jesus is saying, you know, that God made this and he created them, takes care of them, but you were made in his image. How much more important are you than the birds who God takes care of? And then he talks about the flowers that are in the field that grow, and then after they're done growing and they die, they would take them and they would use them to, to fuel their fire so that they could cook on. And he says, these flowers that are more beautiful than, and he uses Solomon. Solomon, who was the wealthiest of the kings. Solomon, in all his splendor, wasn't dressed like a single flower that today is here and then is thrown in the fire. And if God made these things that you can take now and just burn, isn't he going to care for you? One of the things we need to recognize when Jesus says, don't worry, it doesn't mean don't work. Some people read this and go, there, I don't have to get a job. Jesus said, don't worry. What's on TV? It doesn't mean don't work. He just says, don't worry. He's telling us to put our energy into the kingdom. Now, when I read these passages, my mind goes places. It, it, it asks questions, and sometimes it's like asking those questions like, well, should you really ask that question? Like, what about the f people who follow Jesus who are starving in other countries? People who are in Africa, people who are in Haiti, people who are in different places who are literally starving. What about that? I know you're not supposed to ask that question. You should just say, no, God will provide, blah, blah, blah. But there are people who are starving. There are people who are going through incredible hardship. When we were singing earlier and we were singing that song, I Will Rise, the song always reminds me of Cynthia Wheat. And just, it wasn't long ago she was just with us. She got the cancer, and in a year's time, she was gone. And Jesus' words come out to me, isn't your life more than what you eat or drink? Your body, what you will wear. And, and even some of the words that he says here, he says, you have little faith. If God clothes the flowers, will he not also much more clothe you? And I think of 
Paul's words when he says that we will not be found naked. To be absent from the body is to be present with the Lord. And you see, he says, by worrying, you can't add another day to your life. If you are in a position and you are starving, worry isn't going to change that. And I believe that Jesus speaks loudly and clearly to those who are in this need. I think you find some of the richest faith in the people who are impoverished. They have nothing, but they have everything. They have a faith that doesn't waver. They have a faith that doesn't let go. And they know that even if I die, I am still going to be clothed. Because there is a mentality of the kingdom of heaven that we are just, let's face it, we are so foreign to it. We are so set on the comfortable material things that it keeps us from investing our lives into the things of God that would cause us perhaps difficulty that would push us into a place, well, if I do that, how am I going to pay for the things that I want? If I do that, I might be in danger of getting sick or in danger of some kind of hardship. God surely doesn't want me to suffer any kind of hardship, does he? And we're so divided. We so want it now. And the kingdom of heaven seems like something, well, God, just give me the kingdom of heaven when I die, but let me live a full and fat life here. And how many things do we neglect in the kingdom of heaven because we just don't want to go through the hardship? We might have to go without. And let's face it, most of us here don't know what it's like to go without. I mean, we could probably live off of what's in our cupboards and our refrigerator at least for a month. Wouldn't like it, you know, it'd be the beans and lentils and I don't know what else we have in there. There's flour. I don't know what you do with flour, water in it and make something. I don't know. But we're really not without. And clothing, let's face it. We, we've probably got too much. I mean, about a year ago, we went through and kind of cleaned out the closet saying, yeah, let's get rid of how much is enough. And we probably still could do that again. And yet these things hold us. And we're so unaware of the reality of heaven that the fear of what we might lose keeps us from doing what we can do if we had the faith to believe in God and trust him for the things that he desires to give us. He goes on and he tells us in verse 33, and verse 33 is really the pivoting point of his sermon, where he says, seek first his kingdom and his righteousness, and all these things will be given to you as well. What would happen if we really did that? What would happen if we really sought first the kingdom and his righteousness? What if that was our pursuit of life? What if we spent more time doing that than we did watching TV? What if we spent more time pursuing that than we did anything else? Well, I might lose the house. Yeah, you might. Maybe that would be a good thing. How dare you say that, Sam? I'm just saying, what do we find security in? What could we do? Paul didn't have a house. Jesus didn't have a house. But man, I like my house. I'm looking forward to going there tonight, sitting on my couch. I just wonder, do I miss out on the things of God because I don't seek first the kingdom and his righteousness? I'm not telling you to sell your house, okay? I'm not telling anyone. We're all going to go move to Guyana or something. We're not going there, okay? I'm challenging us to say, do we seek first the kingdom of God? Because these words of Jesus are pushing us hard. 
They have been since the beginning. You hate your brother, you're a murderer. You look at a woman in lust, you're an adulterer. Don't let your right hand know what your left hand is doing. You have to, to have the right heart. You have to understand that God is trying to, to get to the core of who you are. And he's saying, seek first the kingdom of heaven and his righteousness and let God provide what is necessary for you. But we can seek first the food, the house, the clothing, and then we throw God in on the weekends. I, I'm sharing things that resonate in my head. I'm not trying to put guilt on anyone. But I do believe that Jesus is trying to open our eyes to see what does heaven really mean to you? This language is about desire and will, what we are attracted to. Where your treasure is, that's where your heart is. See, I don't. Jesus isn't telling us, get rid of your house. He's saying, love God. He's not saying don't buy any new clothes. He's saying seek first the kingdom. So he's not writing the list. Don't do this, do this. He's just telling us whatever you put your treasure in, that's where your heart's going to be. And we need to recognize this. This, this really is about that relationship. And so it's challenging us. Is God first in our lives? Is he a priority in our life? Are we seeking him? Or is it being clouded out by the things of this world that we think are more important? Are they more important? What, what is more important? And verse 34, he pushes it even further. He says, therefore, do not worry about tomorrow. For tomorrow will worry about itself. Each day has enough trouble of its own. All I do is worry about tomorrow sometimes. It seems like it. And it's, what can I do? I think about it. I pace. I moan. Every now and then, Karina will go, what's wrong? Like, and all that's wrong is I'm thinking. <sighs> so what? What's wrong? I'm thinking about tomorrow. <laughs> oh, man. Oh, I've got to do that. Oh. <sighs> and Jesus says, don't worry about tomorrow. Today's got enough problem. I know. And it's so hard. So hard not to worry about tomorrow. And you know, how many times has God been faithful to us and provided the things that we've needed? How many times? I, I can't list them. You know, we've been living month to month for a while now. And God has been so faithful. There's times, you know, all the bills and all the payments come in and it's the first of the month and it's like, okay, okay, we had enough. All the bills are paid. How much money do we have? It's the, you know, the fifth. Well, we've got $100 for the rest of the month. I was like, oh, man. <sighs> you know? <sighs> what am I going to do? How are we gonna... I need to get gas. And, you know, I just got the insurance for the car registration and that's and we worry and then you get a job and God provides enough and we worry some more and then God provides enough and I think the worry comes from the wrong focus I'm concerned about the things that can be taken away, the things that aren't as important. And I really need to continue seeking God. But you see, seeking God first in his kingdom pushes me to a place of faith. And again, faith is not comfortable. Faith stretches us. Faith moves us to go to places where we would be uncomfortable. It moves us to do things that just don't seem rational. It moves us to a place where we... Don't worry about the things that we have, but we desire the things that God wants. And it tests us and it challenges us and it gives us a foothold in the kingdom as opposed to establishing our roots with the things that 
are temporary, where moths come in, the vermin, the rust. It doesn't matter. There is nothing that is secure here. Nothing. Do we understand that? Nothing. It's good to have a good job. It's good to work hard. Get insurance. It's good steward. Do those things. Where's your treasure? Where is your treasure? What are you seeking first? When you have the freedom to do or buy, where does your heart go? I need a vacation. Or I can go to Haiti. I need a vacation. I need a vacation. Or you can go to Mexico. I need to get those boots. They're on sale. <laughs> Did someone go, mm-hmm? <laughs> Groupon, that's the worst thing in the world. Come in my email. It's 80% off. I got to buy it. Or I can give to those who are in need. Where does your heart and mind go when you have the freedom to go anywhere you want, to buy whatever you want? Where does your heart and mind go first? Jesus tells us, seek first. His kingdom and his righteousness, all these things will be given you as well. Don't worry about tomorrow, for tomorrow has enough worry about itself. Each day has enough trouble of its own. Amen. May we understand how real the kingdom of heaven is. May it be something that we move into and live into. And may we be challenged to live lives of faith, however God would move us, in whatever ways God would move us. Let's pray. God, we are challenged by you constantly. And Father, we do desire to live lives that are not divided, that we want to seek first you, your kingdom, and what is right. And... Lord, trust you for all the things that are necessary. Father, we want to seek you and what you desire above seeking the stuff. But God, if you want us to, to work and to have our work be a benefit so that we can give to others, then that's advancing your kingdom. But what do you want? That, that's the question. Lord, may your passions be our passions. May your desires be our desires. May we care more about what you care about. And Father, may loving you and loving others be the foundation of all that we do, whether it be work, whether it be time together, whatever it is, may it be motivated by love for you and for others. We, we go to work so that we can care for others. We, we serve so that we can bless others. We, we go wherever we go so that we can be useful to you and to those around us. And Lord, we are refreshed when we serve you and we find ourselves depleted when we don't. And God, I know I was challenged just by seeing that many times my problem isn't really you or my service to you. My problem is that I'm loving things other than you. And just help me not to do that. Father, help me not to be divided. And I pray that you would use us for your purposes. Thank you again, Lord. In Jesus' name, amen.